the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, today we have the former chair of the RNC and former lieutenant governor of Maryland, Michael Steele. Michael, what's, welcome to the show. What's up, Sarah? How you doing, girl? <laughs> it's so good to see you. It Folks, you so should know the you. first time we, we got connected was at Arcview a number of years ago, and uh, it seems like a lifetime given everything that's happened, uh, you know, COVID and all of that. But it is so good to see you. It's so good to see you too. Yeah, just remember afterwards, it was me, you, and Angel Gambino hanging out. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot about it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And back then, you were doing the keynote at Arcview. Yeah. And you were looking at, uh, there were some different investment things that you were contemplating with a crew of people. And it was really exciting to hear what was going on as far as investment structures and getting people interested and all of that. And we haven't talked since then. So what's been going on? Well, there's, you know, and, and there's a lot that's going on in that investment space. As you know, a lot has changed in the market and it's still changing in the market in that um, there's more and more activity at the state level, which I predicted there would be uh, back at that time uh, in terms of states opening up, not just on the medicinal side, but on the rec side. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen uh, major shifts among the bigger players, uh, the harvest, the true leaves of the world who are now merging um, and are looking to invest in um, smaller growth, uh, growth potential uh, cannabis companies across the country, um, giving them both financial as well as logistical backing. And the logistical backing is incredibly important because a lot of people think this is all about money. And yeah, money is a big deal. But until the feds get their act together and get on board with the rest of us, you know, that's still kind of a murky space, you know, in terms of, um, of uh, how uh, not only once the money's uh, collected, but then what happens to it and taxes and all that stuff. But the logistical piece um, is, you know, building out the infrastructure of, of your company and um, setting it up the right way uh, from everything from the farming side to the retail side, the, the production and the processing side. All of these, all of these um, uh, areas have infrastructure to them, and it's really been great to see um, both major and minor players in the market uh, looking to work with uh, emerging cannabis companies to do that. And so it's been nice to have conversations like that with folks, uh, helping them understand um, what's required on the infrastructure side um, and not just you know, focusing on the money and the money is good. Don't get me wrong. Money's good. Um, but you, in order to make the money, you need to have the infrastructure. And so we put a little bit more emphasis on work like that. And uh, it's just been nice seeing uh, the, the steady growth. I mean, hell, when you go back, Sarah, just what happened in 2020, you have what, four states, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota, 
um, uh, legalizing a recreational use um, mm-hmm. uh, via ballot initiatives. And my company is in New Jersey because I our apothecarium was purchased by Terrasend a few years ago. Yep, yep. And so you have now you have this kind of I'll use the term explosive because in one sense it is is explosive go, uh, growth, but it but in the main it's steady. It's it, it's a progressive type of growth, and it's one of the things that I. When I when I spoke at Arcview, um, wanted to emphasize was being smart about how you grow, um, and and being smart about how you project the image of cannabis. And I and it's really nice to see uh, folks like yourself and others who are not just on the advocacy side but on the business side, um, putting a really good face forward. So that you're breaking down the old stereotypes, the 1930s stereotypes about reefer, <laughs> you know, reefer madness um, and, and all of that crazy um, and really dispelling myths about uh, marijuana or cannabis as a gateway drug to hardest. Look, if you're doing crack cocaine, baby, marijuana was not your gateway. no. <laughs> That's got a little more of an edge to it. Yeah, a little bit more of it. If you're doing anything that's really hard, marijuana was not your gateway. You don't sit there and go, I'm going to go from something really mellow to something that's going to string me out. What? No, that makes no sense. So, but you know, but it's, it's a, there's a lot of, a lot of education still. um, But it is nice to see the way the industry is progressing. But we'll get, I'm sure, more into some of that. uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. I um I always like to use the hashtag conversation is normalization. It is. You know. It really is. Oh, and before we get into the really meaty stuff, I'd like to ask you the question I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. What was your first experience with cannabis? My first experience with cannabis was in the 1970s in a room filled with smoke. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 and just and wondering what the hell is going on up in here? Um, yeah, when I was in high school. But, you know, I'm one of these rare birds who's never used the product. Um, I, as strong as an advocate as I am for, for cannabis, I've never used it. Um, and that's just my own makeup you know, who I am. I, I don't, I don't ingest things into my lungs that way. I don't smoke. Um, I got caught smoking under the bed once. Um, my, my dad used to smoke cigarettes and I grabbed uh, a pack and went under the bed. And the only thing I remember about that was two things. One, uh, blowing out as opposed to inhaling. <laughs> I didn't know. And two, my mama finding me under the bed. And let's just say it wasn't pretty after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my 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 speaking, my smoking experience was curtailed uh, by my mom. But no, I, I've, I've always been a very strong advocate, even back in the day. Um, uh, because, you know, I, I don't know, I, I've, I've always informed myself and educated myself. To your point, information is, is a great way to beginning, not just to learn, but then to better understand. And um, what I saw, you know, certainly for my friends who were largely rec users, um, was, you know, all of the things that you hear about 
about it um, just was not my experience. Mm -hmm. It was not what I saw and not what I experienced in my friends. In fact, the only thing I had to make sure was that there was enough, you know, stuff in the house for folks to eat. (laughs) (laughs) It had an impact on my grocery bill, but that was (laughs) was about it. It wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't anything that, you know, um, that went beyond that. You know, I wasn't calling ambulances and and having to deal with um, police officers because most people were too stoned to go outside. So it it doesn't, it, it you know, there are a lot of things about cannabis that, you know, uh, people need to be aware of and concerned about, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, And, you know, we kind of laugh a little bit and joke about it, and we don't want to take away from the seriousness of what it is. But it is not a scheduled A drug, nor should it be. Um, And um, it is something from my my experience um, is... is, uh, it's, it's exactly where it should be at this point in time with with greater um you know opportunities ahead for for folks um who who use it use the product um particularly given sarah as you know it's been around since there was dirt on the earth so it's not it's not like you know this is something that was made up in a laboratory uh in china so (laughs) you know they they say that we have one of the oldest symbiotic cultivation relationships with cannabis and they're not even sure cannabis found us or found it right exactly exactly i I think one of the things when we're talking about education because as you know I'm, i'm an educator but i was also one of the chairs of the legalization task force for san francisco for three mm-hmm. years. And one of the things that I tried to do is especially educating city family and people, you know, the local state level and government around cannabis, because when we're looking at education, that equals good policy. Right. And right now, you know, when we're looking at sustainability of these businesses, not only do we have to be looking at infrastructure and touching on our experts that are coming from other areas, but we also have to look at the normalization of cannabis because the overtaxation is impacting sustainability as we're seeing here in California because we've looked at major extinction events with these businesses and people. We've even had farmers up in the Emerald Triangle committing suicide because they're Mm. losing their businesses over this. And if we stop looking at this as something that's, you know, I feel like in many ways when we've looked at tax structures, it's almost like a sin tax. And granted, taxation is essential, of course. We need to be supporting our infrastructure nationally, you know. But the fact that we're overtaxed more, we're taxed more than any other industry, and we can't claim, make the same claims on our business taxes as other businesses is a huge impediment. And I, I just like to hear what your thoughts are on that. No, you, you, you touch on a very important aspect uh, of, of the business um, as well as the, the, the social impact it has on the business owners um, and, and how um, there are a number there are a number of ways to come at, this issue. So I'll I'll stay most stay on the taxation side of it because there, because your, your reference to, you know, farmers and others who are, are 
losing their businesses and taking their lives and as, as a consequence of that. That sort of touches on sort of the social fabric piece as well, which I'd like to talk about a little bit because that gets into the criminal justice system and the reforms relative to this, this um, uh, drug to, to others. Um, <clears throat> but the tax piece is an interesting jump off because here, as I, as I look at it, Sarah, what I see is two, two groups initially looking at this plant. One group sitting there and going, oh, hell, we about to get paid, right? Right. <laughs> We're going to make some money, right? And, and that's, you know, the, the grower, the manufacturer, the, you know, the whole chain. Um, uh, retail and even even the the uh, end user who's now saying finally I can you know go out and get get something I like so that's that the other group looking at this are saying you know oh hell we're about to get paid and that's state and local governments that want to tax this this product mm -hmm. um and certainly they looked at some of the early numbers coming out of colorado and places on in the west back in the day and you know seeing oh well, they just generated 200 million dollars worth of you know taxes on and people's just cha-ching cha-ching yeah um and so you have you have this this situation where the the business and the and the governmental entities are clashing with each other and again this is where the federal piece i think comes in and stabilizes the market and i'll get to the why in a moment but the the states right now given that they, there's this sort of wild wild west attitude about cannabis and saying okay we, you can now grow it produce it and sell it and we're just going to tax every portion of that chain, right? right? And and there is no rationale for the number. It's like, okay, we're going to tax 3% here, 7% there, you know, whatever. And so by the time you're done, you're paying this exorbitant tax on, on this product, which eats into that production chain in such a way that no one's making money. Right. And it's passed on to the consumer. So then- and it's we're not selling exactly. as much. Exactly. So now the consumers at the other end of that chain looking at buying a product that by and large, they can't afford, at least not in the context of, of how they would like to use it. Right. Right. And, and, and so that, of course, impacts backward on, on the, the retailer, which then impacts backward on the production process down to the grower, because, you know, supply and demand, it's a market force, folks. Oh, it <laughs> it, is. it, it is. works. And if you, and if you create, if you create something, uh, a negative impact on demand, it is going to have an impact on the supply. Right. And if you're greedy on the supply side, it's going to have a negative impact on the demand. Um, and I and I think that that's that's the imbalance that we see in the system right now. So where does how does this begin to turn itself around? Is where the feds come in. The feds actually, in an ironic way, in my view, and I'm sure that they'll meet 
some folks who may disagree with that. And that's that's what this process is going to be about in terms of deciding and debating ultimately where, where this shakes out. The feds come in, they say, all right, fine, we take this off the Schedule A. It's, we look at the re- recreational and medicinal use, and we may, we may approach it in two ways. We would say for medicinal use, we'll look at uh, a tax structure, a federal tax structure this way. For recreational use, we'll look at a federal tax structure that way. So maybe a percent, two, three percent more or less, depending. What that does is it forces the states then to balance, to counterbalance. Um, because the feds aren't going to come in and say, well, the state of California is, is charging, you know, uh, a sin tax, if you will, or an extra tax on cannabis of X, and we're going to, we're going to do X plus. They don't, they don't care about that. What right. they say is this is where the fed tax is going to be when they get to that point. And the states, ironically enough, sort of accommodate that. Why? Because people then go, wait a minute, hold time out. <laughs> you know, now, now I'm paying 40% on this thing. What are you kidding me? So it becomes, it, the, the system has a way of working itself out. But right now you don't have that counter pressure. You don't have anything that really uh, puts in place a guidepost for some of the states that are, that are creating a, a tax narrative uh, on on businesses that are having a, a negative effect um, on the business as a whole. And so I look for I look for that to sort of work itself out as soon as the feds get them their act together. Now the Biden administration is not inclined to be favorably disposed towards this, although the House Democrats are and there are some Republicans uh, who are as well, although they won't say so publicly at this point. Um, but I know they are. I know they are. Right. Well, I, 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 I've seen them in the room. I know they are. <laughs> well, and that's uh, one of the things that like, it's funny that people always think that, you know, it's a that cannabis is a liberal thing, which I know from knowing my colleagues, cannabis is very bipartisan. It is very bipartisan. In fact, can I give you a little tip? Hmm. It may be a little bit more partisan on my side than on the other side. <laughs> Right. So in terms of use, you know, <laughs> it's like, so don't, don't all buy into this whole holier than thou, you know, sort of, you know, uh, sort of attitude about, about, you know, cannabis and all. Nah, they, these folks, they'll take the toke when they need to, trust me, right. just like on a number of things. So it's just, but that's, but that's, that's sort of the politics and we get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, and they're workarounds. I mean, hell, when John Boehner came out, and and sort of saddled up with cannabis, and then you saw Mitch McConnell, you know, advocating and, and putting forward legislation on hemp. You know, everybody was like, "Wait a minute, hold on, time out." What? I'm like, I could have told you that. Oh yeah, well, and especially with Mitch, because <laughs> not surprising. Yeah, Kentucky was hemp country. It's hemp country, absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's a product like any other product, and you're going to do what you need to do to protect it and advance it and get it sold in the marketplace. Uh, so you see, you see these opportunities there, but you raise a very important point, Sarah, about where um, the industry is right now, um, certainly at a state level, because of the kinds of tax and other policies that are there. And, you know, look, I, I, I am a states' rights guy. I'm all about the Tenth Amendment, and the states have the purview. And at the end of the day. 
um, and as well they should, you know, because well, Ma Maryland is going to regulate it differently than Iowa, than differently than than San Francisco or Washington. And so, aren't, you're you're a free market guy too, right? Very much a free market guy, which is why, which is why, I, in this sense, want the feds to play, because the feds really, in their weird kind of ironic way, sets sets guardrails that the states actually kind of wind up working. And right now, if you're looking at it as a graph, you'll see some, some lines in the graph actually going off the paper, <laughs> right? Because there's nothing to stop it from doing that. Right. Uh, and, and so you, you, want, you want to have this sort of balance that's created in the industry. You referenced a little bit earlier the idea you know, of a syntax. And that's something that, Everyone can get their head around. Everybody understands. We have it on beer and wine in some places. You still have a few blue laws in some some parts of the country where, oh, we can't sell it on Sunday. Okay, because you know I don't know what Pass is going to do if he doesn't get his get his little little bottle. So you got to get it on Saturday, Pass. That's what you got to do. <laughs> got to get that bottle on Saturday because you can't get it on Sunday. All right, fine. So we know we know where the guardrails are and how the guardrails have been put in place uh, culturally, politically, mm -hmm. economically, um, at the state level. And this this industry will be no different in that regard. It's just a matter of of timing getting there. Um, it's a matter of how we get there. Yeah. And that's why folks like yourself and others who have been very strong, not just advocates, but leaders in sort of shaping the narrative, whether it's in California or nationally, um, is, is very, very important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I feel like in many ways, going back to, you know, taxation is essential, right? Right. And we're looking at, you know, but we also want things to be sustainable because we want we want the, the, the feds and the state to be able to get their taxes so they can run their programs. But we're also seeing and I don't know what you're seeing in Maryland, but in California, where legalization was supposed to allow everybody to join the market and we we're going to get rid of our traditional market or the illicit market. Um, I would say traditional because that's where it all started. Right. Right. But we're actually we in California are seeing a booming market. And actually some of our most a booming, a booming market. A booming illicit market with some of illicit the most market. talented black growers. market. It's yeah. Black market. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the the reason you have that booming black market is because of the tax policies. Right. <laughs> the other reason, the other reasons you have that booming black market is because there is no federal banking system that that can help regulate those dollars. Um, and, and, and so there, there is, look, the, the reality of it is if I make a thousand dollars a day and I, I have, there's no way for authorities to account for that. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You know, I, it, it's not all, it's, you know, not all of it's going to be clean. Not all of it's going to be um, the way you want it to be. And, if I'm in a market system where currently where um, I've got to pay an exorbitant amount 
on that money that I do earn that's not being put into a federally insured bank. It's just sitting in a box underneath my desk or in a makeshift vault I made in my office. Um, guess what's going to happen? At some point, to our earlier discussion, I'm going to see my customers kind of go away. Right. Uh, and and invariably what will happen is someone's going to say, look, dude, I'm willing to buy this if you're willing to take that. And that market emerges. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm keeping two books. <laughs> right. Right. Nice. Uh, and so that that's that's what you need to be aware of. And it, it really is. I mean, we've seen this movie. It's called Prohibition. Right. We've seen this movie. We know exactly what this movie uh, real uh, is going to be about. We know how this movie ends. <laughs> I mean, even to the point, Sarah, as you know, I mean, they they, you know, amended the Constitution. And then had to repeal the amendment. I mean, because prohibition just wasn't going to work. So, the, so you can't. You know, do that. The, you can't do that. And so, understand what the market is. You opened up uh, an important door. Now, as as the market uh, emerges, as people move into it, both consumers, retailers, producers, etc. Government needs to uh, uh, adopt its proper role and regulate it, not regulate it out of existence, because clearly the vast majority of Americans don't want that. Right. Um, clearly, um, there are those like myself and others who advocate for a certain level of reparations for, for individuals who uh, were penalized harshly for not just you know, they're having marijuana, but their use of marijuana back in the day who mm -hmm. have prison sentences and, and criminal records because of it. Uh, so clearly the narrative around this product has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. We just need government to catch up with the narrative. Right, right. And we need those governments that have caught up with the narrative uh, to be a little bit more responsible in how they uh, regulate, in how they tax, in how they um, approach. Because I, to be honest, I mean, there, there's some of these regulations I think are way more punitive uh, than they need to be uh, in light of where the public is. Mm -hmm. It's almost as, as if you, you know, you have these legislators saying, well, all right, um, I know you want this, but I'm going to make it as hard on you as possible to get it or, or to, to use it or whatever. Um, and that's just not all that again does is create a black market unnecessarily, right. which you don't, which you don't need. No, no, you don't. And, and I, going on to what you're talking about with reparations, what are your thoughts on social equity programs and cannabis? Because we're, We've got a lot of really passionate advocates and activists that have been working to put that together to because, you know, we have people who have never worked in cannabis before that are making money in it. And we have people who have spent substantial time in jail for being right. entrepreneurs, basically. Well, to be honest, I'd like to see all of that 
um, opened itself up in a way that uh, African-American uh, and Hispanic uh, individuals in particular out of, out of our urban centers who got caught in those traps, uh, who want to move in this space be allowed to do so. Um, you know, there, you know, there are a whole lot of white folks uh, occupying this space and, and, and gaining advantage in it. Mm -hmm. And I don't see, I don't see a whole lot of bringing brothers to the table. Um, they're there. I've, I've met with a lot of them and they're like, you know, I, I can't get in the room. Um, and, and so whether it is from a pure advocacy perspective, which people are are quick to sort of grab a black face and put them in front of a camera to be an advocate for these types of programs um, to address uh, the wrong that was, you know, inflicted on on individuals over the last forty or fifty years. Um, but then in the other room, where people are talking dollars and cents, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they're talking about. Who's gonna have? Who's gonna be able to, you know, bring a bid and be a part of a bid and and for for a license or for ownership in this new uh, structure for cannabis? That's a different conversation, and you don't see um, a lot of those same people who were in jail for for use of cannabis or the distribution of cannabis back in the day now uh, being brought into the room to not only be an advocate for uh, fixing the system and expunging those records and cleaning it up, but also for, you know, being part of the entrepreneurial uh, class that's going to emerge. Right. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, the, the industry itself has to check itself and be realize you're not being as equitable as you think you are. A lot of it's performative. A lot of it is performative. Thank you. And, and I think you need to check yourself on that and, and recognize that um, that's not going to go down real easy because it's just one of those things. The backlash um, can be very, very harmful to the industry as a whole. And I, and I just think it's something you can deal with on the front end uh, to avoid uh, that on the back end. I think one thing that maybe people who aren't thinking about social equity in these programs and the value that these entrepreneurs can actually bring to the industry, even if they're not going to look at it from a social justice standpoint, these are people with institutional knowledge of how the plant works, the best ways of cultivation, and they also have their hands on some amazing genetics that we do not see in the mainstream business. And that's that's something that I really miss because there's amazing stuff going on there. There are some really talented folks and I feel like we do ourselves a disservice by not harnessing that too. Or you Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. And, and the reality of that is that's the entrepreneurial piece that is very intriguing because these guys were entrepreneurial in this space before it was cool to be entrepreneurial in this space. Right. Uh, and so their talents and their gifts at, at the, on the production side on, I mean, hell, 
even on on the on the salesmanship, you know, the sort of promoting the product, um, you know, they know how to work. They knew how to work that corner. Right. And get the word spread that that was the corner to go to. Right. It's like hiring the hackers. Thank you. It, it's no it's no different. And so you see you see that opportunity there. And yet a lot of these individuals are left on the sidelines. They're not invited to the dance. They're not invited. They're not even invited to the parking lot where the dance is being held. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that the end, this is, this is where the industry needs to, again, check itself and step up and be the leader. Don't, you know, it's not one of those situations where it's a great idea and nobody acts on it. Right. Right. It's 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 got to be something that is part of the ongoing culture because you believe in the in that piece of it, the, the social justice piece, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you believe in the social equity piece of it. You believe in uh, the rep the reparations, uh, you know, uh, of it. And, and so there I just, I, I, there's work there that has to be done while all these other things are going on that we talked about. This aspect of it probably is one of the most important things you've got to get done on the front end. Yes. Because you can't do that on the back end. And, and we've seen that already, Sarah, in a number of states, including my own, mm-hmm. where, um, Black folk just have been left aside. They're just not included in the conversation. All the licenses licenses get gobbled up by by uh, groups of white men, um, and uh, they you know they may find one brother and say, "Yeah, we want you to come on," but they're not a main player. They're not a main partner, and is and it's just one, if if that. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, there aren't any. Uh, and then legislatures have to then backtrack and go, oh, okay, well, we got to do, and we'll put another round of legislation in to add more licenses and we'll designate those for people of color. I'm like, seriously, you, you couldn't figure that ish out before you got to this point. And that's where the industry has to be its best advocate for that. And to make sure that when the, when the, doors are open and the, and the corners are turned in bringing cannabis to the public, that that social justice piece, that equity piece is front and center. It has to be. It has to be. And when you're looking at that, in your opinion, what's the best plan of attack to make sure that we're creating that in, in the main foundation? Well, there, there, I guess there are a number of ways you can, you can approach it. Um, Every community is is largely going to be different in that in in one sense, but not so much in this sense. In that you know you know where the players are, right? You you know the the leading black business owners. I mean, because again, you're talking about folks bringing equity into a space to create greater equity on the other side. So that means, you know, established business business owners and business leaders. That means certainly advocates in the space, um, not just on cannabis, but on other things that can help with the social narrative around, around the drug, uh, the drug um, and the use and all of that. And, 
there, there, there are any number of strategies that can be employed. The, the initial question is, do you want to seek out those strategies and try to apply them to your current situation? The legislature, when the legislature begins initially to move towards the idea of, all right, we want to we wanna open up uh, a lane here for medicinal use, mm-hmm. or we, we want to open up a lane now for rec- recreational use, or whatever it happens to be, you've got to have leaders in the community who are part of that conversation. I mean, it doesn't happen in a vacuum because people have been lobbying for it for some time. Right. So now, finally, when legislatures are deciding, okay, yeah, we we get it. The polling shows seventy percent of state X residents want it. Um, we'll do something about it, whether we will do it legislatively or we'll do it through a ballot initiative. But we're now open up the process. That's when the industry in that state, in coordination with leaders from around the country, and certainly counting on the experience of um, uh, cannabis uh, producers, leaders in other states can begin to figure out what that strategy should look like. And that's some of what we've been doing here in Maryland as we're starting to open this up. You know, I've got a meeting next week with with the head of of the the committee that's looking at the cannabis legislation to sort of talk through exactly what that should look like. And it should have, it should have these elements and these pieces. And in your advocacy, Mr. Delegate, we'd like you to know ABC. And ABC is we want black ownership. We want female ownership. We want um, you know, a, a, a social justice piece that acknowledges, um, uh, you know, those who've been caught up in this, in this system, uh, records expunged, go through, we know what it is, then go through it and make that part of what, what you put on the table to help the, le- the legislators not going to criticize that. They're going to be looking for the help. You know, because they don't want to have to come back a year or two years from now after they've gotten their ass chewed off by by a, gr- a bunch of you know different groups and voices out there for not getting it right in the first cut. So they're going to they're they're going to look for the help. So be that guiding voice to help them get it right on the front end, to be as inclusive as possible, to recognize those who often fall through the cracks and are not not um, acknowledged holding others accountable um, who um, are, are not good faith players or who are good faith players um, and making sure you set it up right out of the gate. Yeah. When we're looking at setting a policy, one of the things that I've noticed, because I've, I've done a lot of lecturing in states when they're just proposing programs, right. and I've noticed that policy isn't always based on fact. As a matter of fact, (laughs) no, no, it is not. It is not. It seems to be based on state culture, which is extraordinarily strong. And I didn't even realize it till I did a little traveling in the policy world and stigma. And I've noticed that we tend to see states reinventing the wheel time and time again and not looking at the mistakes that other states have made when they're putting together their policy. Right. What do you think 
what what advice would you give to policy makers when looking at that? Because I just think one of the things, the biggest disconnects is when I go in as an educator, one of the biggest things I have to tell people is, I'm telling you this to create good policy. Uh, outside of what you might be paying me to travel, I don't have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. But I really like, do you think that policymakers understand how important having education from people who may not necessarily be who believe in what's going on, but aren't looking to make a profit because then we're looking at just, well, I don't know if there's anything such thing as pure advocacy, but you're, you're coming. Well, there is, there is so, so a certain degree a thing called pure advocacy because there are groups out there that are not in the business of cannabis. Right. All right. There are groups out there um, like yourself who are straight up advocates. Hey, I'm here to inform and educate you to demystify and demythify yes. uh, this, this particular product, to answer your questions, to make myself available to you as you are crafting your legislation so that you are well-informed. Some of that involves going when there are public hearings and ask, and ask for public testimony to be there in that space to provide that. Um, to be in the room, to listen to what others are saying, and then raise your hand and go, okay, so this, this advocate against cannabis just said A, B, and C. If I could take two minutes to tell you where they are wrong. Um, that There is a very important space for that. Uh, and there needs to be more of that. Because if you have that as part of the the entree into this into this space, then you are less likely to run into the kinds of problems later on that we see creeping up. And it's not just about, oh, you didn't include this group or that group in the legislation or in the bill uh, for getting a license, but you wrote this bill in such a way that the public now is going to have a very different understanding of what this is versus what we know it should be. Right. Um, and so a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with um, how the, again, I go back to the industry because I, I said this at ArcView and I will keep repeating it. This is now a business. This is a now, this is now an industry, no different than tech, no different than medical devices no different than pharmaceuticals, right? Right. It is a business. It is an industry that, um, it, while not necessarily regulated at the federal level, it will be, is regulated at the state level and, and has with it um, consequences uh, for not just, not just for consumers, but everyone else in that process. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so... You have to look at it that way. This is no longer this is no longer some guy who had a plan on his back porch that it was, you know, he, he had it disguised with, you know, Christmas tree lights so that people would think <laughs> it was a, a, That's a hell of a tree, Christmas tree right, in the middle of July. <laughs> but, you know, so it's it's it, we're not there anymore. Right. And so we need to start acting like we're not there anymore. Right. And and recognize to your point about how you go out and make make the case for 
for the industry as a whole. That's taking responsibility for the industry. That's taking responsibility for all the variables and players inside that industry. Because as I said at ARC, you know, and I'll repeat again, don't let a national story get out there that a two-year-old child got a hold of a gummy bear, a cannabis gummy bear, and got sick. You think your industries, you think people have a problem with your industry? You wait. Oh, yeah. Because that, that narrative, that narrative will take you so far afield of where you are. Because the one thing you you have to understand is, yeah, everybody seemingly wants this industry to grow and they want to be a part of it, either as producers or users, right? But the moment something negative happens, the moment you have that Tylenol moment, Mm -hmm. okay, unlike Tylenol, recovery is going to be very, very hard. Very, very hard. Yeah, Um, because of the attitude. People didn't have a negative attitude about Tylenol. (laughs) So they were shocked when it happened. So they were shocked when that people, a lot of people have a negative attitude about marijuana. Yeah. And so all they need is that little itty bitty thing that tips them, tips it over in which they can create a nasty national narrative. The three ends, right? Um, the, the, The nasty national narrative about the product and then everybody everybody gonna be like salmon swimming swimming upstream and they're gonna be a whole lot of bears just picking you off as you do right and that's also why we have to have the conversations like in my industry nobody wants to talk about the negative and the fact of the matter is we have to look at it head on before somebody outside of the industry has that conversation. Like when we're talking about, it's amazing. When I teach, I was teaching at San Francisco City College and somebody was asking about cannabis and addiction. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear a lot of people in the industry say, it's not addictive. Well, from a harm reduction standpoint, and this is why I was really grateful to have a fellow professor working with me with a harm reduction background, you can have a bad relationship with anything. Anything. And talking about that is a big part of what's going on. Or the fact that we have people who have cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, though it's rare. There are like, it was back in 2013, a dear friend of mine was an ER doc in Boulder and she got a hold of me and she was like, I'm seeing this pattern of young men that smoke a lot of cannabis who are having cyclical vomiting that's only being soothed by hot showers. Have you seen this? And I was like, no, I haven't seen this. And then it started popping up. And we actually have somebody in the cannabis business who's fairly visible, who's dealt with that. So she works with cannabis marketing. She still loves cannabis, but she can no longer use it. And people say, oh, she's lying. She's a drama queen. She's looking for more attention. But what she really is doing is she's starting a conversation about something that though not common, is very real. And we need to talk about it because that could be our Tylenol moment. You're making such an incredibly good point. And and I cannot emphasize enough how it's important for people to hear what you're saying. And that is, you've got to take responsibility for all aspects of this product Mm -hmm. and all the effects of this product, known and unknown. 
And, and that's what the science is about. The science is there to help folks better understand what this product is and what this product does to the human body and what it doesn't do. Everybody's different. As we like to say in the neighborhood, everybody different, right? Truth. Everybody different. It, it just, it just, we just are. So your response to it is very different from my response to it. You, you can have your, your moment with cannabis and just like, okay, cool. I have a moment and all of a sudden, you know, like you said, I'm throwing up or I have some other reaction. So we don't know what we don't know yet. And so we, it's why the marriage of the science with the, um, the rest of the industry, and, I, and I've been very clear about this, what I loved about the medicinal piece being the first piece out of the gate, because it's important to establish that as the order of things. That's the science that, that shows that medicinally it has this, this impact. It works. It helps people with pain. It helps people with nausea. It helps people with all kinds of things related to other illnesses that they have. Right. That's good. But also the science shows, as you've pointed out, that there can be effects, side effects, if you will, from that for some people. You cannot discount that or sweep it out of the way. It's got to be a part of the conversation because, again, dealing with the product holistically, right, so that the consumer is well aware of what it is they are ingesting. And, and it is better to do it with science at the tip of the spear, with advocacy reinforcing the science, and with intelligence with how we sell this product to the public and produce it and put it out there so that the consumer is better informed. It is what we've seen in everything from why we should wear seatbelts to why it why you have, you know, um, gun lock boxes uh, so kids don't access the gun in the home. Um, all of those, these, these precautions in every industry are important uh, to A, protect the consumer first and foremost, Correct. but B, to protect the industry. Right. That's <laughs> it. And, you know, and I also look at it as a call to like, I remember when we passed legalization in California and that the next day we had people showing up to dispensaries saying, oh, can I come in and purchase now? And I found that I was looking at legalization as a unique opportunity to re-engage people with civics because most people don't understand that before something's passed, we don't set the foundation up. It has right. to be passed first before we do it. So I would jokingly refer to it as Stoner Civics 101. I was like, all right, let's let's look at this. We don't have anything set up yet. We just passed it. We got the okay to set it up. Here we go. Are you with me? Here we me? go. <laughs> and then, you know, when they're talking about, you know, people getting angry and saying cannabis is so expensive and it's the greedy companies and the dispensaries. And this is where I look at them and I go, no, this is called policy. And this is your chance to be active. You these a lot of these people depend on your votes for their jobs. So yeah. let them know, 
You know, yeah. I'm a highly functioning member of society. I contribute. I pay taxes. I use cannabis and I vote. Right. Right. And and that you've just described a significant num uh, number of our uh, voters across the country. Um, and it, it's not, again, it's demythifying the, the idea of the cannabis user, um, the cannabis itself, uh, and, but doing that intelligently with science, with facts. Um, and again, this is a product that when the feds start regulating it, and they will, mm -hmm. will come with a warning label, like a pack of cigarettes, right? Um, but that will be based on the science, not that it causes cancer, but that, you know, so, you know, tests have shown certain people will have certain reactions, whatever that common thread of reactions happen to be, because not everyone is going to react the same. But we need to be aware of it, and we need to be smart about it. And again, I go back to the, the earlier points that this is where, again, I use the term, the industry as a whole, comprised of very smart people like yourself, as well as very entrepreneurial and very um, uh, engaged advocates and others um, come together and, and help shape the foundation of what will be very likely a prosperous, thriving industry uh, in the marketplace, um, the Bitcoin of the mid 21st century, if you will, in many regards, mm -hmm. you know, changes the game, right. changes the nature of, of, of science. You, you know, look, right now, we got a whole lot of Southern grandmamas who, have, who has a little cigarette in her pot, in her purse, after she comes home from church on Sunday, because she's been sitting on that bench for the last three hours at service, and her, you know, her nerves are, are acting up in her feet uh, or her back is in pain, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's the reality today. Uh, and, and so it's not, we're not, we're not talking about something that isn't. Uh, we're talking about how do we make what is more, better, uh, where people are better informed, more engaged and smarter about uh, this this particular plant as we open it up to our economy. Right. Now, the first year of my podcast, I had our former San Francisco mayor, Art Agnos, on. Mm -hmm. Art's a dear friend of mine. And I actually, in his 80s, he never, he cannabis never appealed to him. But, right. at, you know, he was having problems with sleep and he came to see me. So I helped him pick out some cannabis for sleep. And he's been loving it but his thing that he said to me was sarah when it ever gets to the time where you want to like attack you know the task of getting it covered by insurance i'm on board give me a call <laughs> <laughs> he's like because i think it's important because he does use it medicinally right you know, arts, arts well that's that's the mainstreaming of of cannabis right what do when you it's, think well look it's it's part of the walk uh, right now we're crawling. Uh, it's part of the walk, though. You know, the day insurance companies cover cannabis, that will be a BFD. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so he's right about that. 
Um, and it's going to require, it's going to be a heavy lift. It's going to require a lot of advocacy. It's going to require a lot of science because there's a lot of risk. Right. And the one thing as anybody who's tried to put in an insurance claim is that insurance companies are risk averse. <laughs> and, and so they see us as risks, as human beings. Mm -hmm. They take our money gleefully, right? They don't want to pay out on that ish when, it, when something happens. Um, and, and, they, and they are very skeptical about what they will pay for. And, and so we know that going in mm -hmm. to that kind of a conversation um, today. And it will be the exact same conversation 20, 20 years from now um, when, when the doors are finally opening up to something like that. But again, that's part of the ongoing effort. Um, doesn't mean you don't engage in the conversation today to sort of soften them up. Right. You do. Right. You have to do that. They're not going to buy it. I mean, it's just like with the feds. I mean, people are trying to soften the feds up to, to take cannabis off the schedule, schedule A for how long? They still haven't. But right. it's part of the process. You got to go through it. You got to keep making the case, making the point driving home and finding, and this is important, allies who will stand with you to make that case with you. Right. Um, who have go through a door that maybe you can't go through. I, I certainly hope that that happens because I know for myself, like, you know, before this, you know, I worked, I worked in nonprofit and civil rights and, and I got cancer when I was, well, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 37. Mm -hmm. And I was stage three colon cancer. Oh my gosh. So 10 years out. My mom actually yeah. had the clinical trials on the chemo regimen I ended up taking, which was like a blessing and a curse. At the God same bless. Time. God <laughs> bless. That's wonderful. That's good news. Congratulations. 10 years. Thank Go you. But being having that access to cannabis helped me not have to use other pharmaceuticals that would have created because you know when you have well, they're toxic to your body and actually things like opiates and my anti-nausea drugs could cause constipation and you never think you can die from that until oh, you have yeah. stage three colon cancer oh yeah and yeah. so i was i was able to forego that and so i think like if we can have more conversations not only of the things we need to be aware of like drug right. interactions and the rare interactions that certain people have with cannabis because we don't all tolerate it it's not a panacea but also the immense amount of good we can do, not only medicinally, but maybe the way that we look at and structure cannabis and business on a local, state, and federal level can change the way that we actually look at business and how we do business. Yeah, again, and then that, that, that's going to be a, a very important part of, of that walk that we've been talking about and how you move through the um, the education, the the um, the business, obviously, the, the sort of legislative pieces, all these various pieces uh, that comprise the the emerging cannabis market um, will all contribute to that, and it's and they all contribute to the ultimate narrative about the product, how people perceive it, how people will come to use it, how I mean, again, it's going back to what I said before. Folks, I've never used the product. I'm not inclined to use the product, but I'm a very strong advocate for it um, because I've seen 
in my own family, the benefits of its medicinal use. Mm-hmm. Um, I've educated myself and continue to educate and inform myself on the project, not on the product. I'm not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't buy the lies about it. And that, you know, a lot of that was my own self-effort. But imagine having, you know, advocates out there who are engaging across the country at all levels with people um, such as yourself, uh, you know, such as you're doing, that sort of help them become more comfortable with something that they're not familiar with. All of that plays, uh, uh, rather pays dividends uh, for, for efforts down the road. So it's, it's an ongoing, there's no doubt about the, the nature of it is, um, you know, it's got a reputation, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and that, and some of it's a fun reputation you can, you can laugh with and, and, and people get the joke. Others tend to be a little bit more serious when people start, you know, saying, you know, it, you know, it led to my cousin, uh, you know, jumping off the bridge or something like that. My argument would be, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that, but I suspect there probably was a little bit else, something else going on there too. And so that's, that's where the sort of decoupling of, of, of cannabis from other ills in society that, um, that aren't, that aren't legitimate, right? Yeah. Aren't legitimately uh, put together. Um, becomes very, very important. So you can see how all of these pieces work. Um, uh, and, and like I said, the industry is an industry. It's growing. It's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of friends that it didn't have uh, last week, let alone 10 years ago. True. And, and, and in I the think past that, two years too with the pandemic. Right, right. And I, and I think that that's something that's, uh, that bodes well for how it moves forward. Now, you were mentioning the effects that it's had on your family's life. And I know that your former brother-in-law is Mike Tyson. Yes, he is. Yes. <laughs> who, who's playing hard in the industry, by the way. He's, he's, you know, Tyson Ranch. He's got, he's got, a, whole, he's got a whole concept um, uh, there. And, and, you know, from what, I, from what I can tell, doing very well with it. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I, I, I keep checking out his interviews and he's... He's been getting into a lot of interesting spaces. He has. And again, he sort of speaks to, you know, what I love about what guys like Mike are doing is, you know, a lot of these guys were in the shadows for, for years. You know, they, you know, my buddy, Bill Maher, another one who, you know, although Bill was much more open about his use of, of marijuana, yeah. uh, uh, than, than anyone really. I mean, he talk about a trailblazer in sort of demystifying, um, the, the, the plant, but nonetheless, um, you know, guys like that, uh, you know, sort of are bringing, you know, bringing the conversation forward. Guys like Mike in particular are bringing sort of ideas and innovation forward, which is rather the creative side of this, mm-hmm. you know, People are, you know, now talking about as as Mike is working and planning, uh, you know, building hotels that are cannabis friendly, because you know most hotels you can't smoke. Oh no! Right. Um, that's what the parking lot's for. That's what the parking lot's for. 
but you know, creating these types of facilities, restaurants, um, and places like that. I mean, I mean, think about this. Think about this, Sarah. What was it? Just um, I want to get it right. Was it last week? The last couple of weeks? There's a cannabis um, uh, bar and restaurant that opened in all places, Nashville. I didn't know that. Yes. I'm going to have to check it so out. So you're opening up a cannabis joint in Nashville? Oh, hell, baby, we have turned the corner. Especially with all that good food. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. You know, but again, the South, culturally conservative, Christian-based cannabis bar and restaurant. So it, again, it goes with how the, the industry is changing, how people are bringing innovative thought to the space, mm-hmm. um, creating a safe space. I always hate that term. It sounds so woke. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'll use it. So forgive me, folks. I'll use it in this conversation for this point. But creating a safe space for people who use cannabis can actually enjoy using cannabis publicly. Right. You know, in in a space that otherwise they would not be able to if they were a cigarette smoker or something like that. So it, it that's the kind of innovation we're going to see that I think is pretty pretty exciting. And guys like Mike Tyson are on the forefront of that, um, of creating these these arenas and these venues and these locations where people who use cannabis can go and 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 use it. Um, and guys like me can just go be in the smoke-filled room. <laughs> well, you know, if you come visit and you want to try some cannabis beverages and not smoke it, look, I, I'm yeah, your girl. I, look, <laughs> I got to put something in my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we, uh, we talked a little bit about the future, but I always like to ask as we're closing out, what, what are you excited about in the future? And, and what, do you, what do you hope to work on in this space? Well, what I'm excited about is the innovation. Uh, a lot of what we just talked about, the innovation of not just um, creating venues and, and utilizing uh, cannabis, but the innovation in uh, the advocacy that's taking place um, what individuals like yourself are doing out here that, you know, creating a space podcast where this can be talked about, it can, you can be informed, people can scream at the podcast and go, what the hell? Or they can applaud it. You know, getting that, that reaction to what's going on in the industry and um, uh, being able to respond to it. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, um, promoting and and pushing back on um, efforts to not include those who should be included and and making sure that everyone who wants to play in this space can play freely um, and opportunistically and fairly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, most importantly. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a number of things that I, I'm really looking forward to and really excited about. 
Um, I'm really, I'm hoping to keep my fingers um, close to uh, the throttle on the federal legislative piece and, and working very quietly, because you have to work quietly because that's just the nature of Capitol Hill when it comes to the subject. But, um, but there is work going on there. I think people should know that. Um, and, and there are, despite the current administration's, I don't know if the word is hesitancy or if the words are lack of interest. I, I would tend to think it's more hesitancy because I, I know they're not uninterested in, in the subject. Um, but I think bringing that level of discourse in, in, uh, and conversation into the, into the mix, again, advocacy and information, uh, I think will go a long way along with uh, those leaders in the House in particular that have already uh, put forward some legislation are, and are looking to create the, the impetus behind it. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of the things that I'm excited about and looking forward to, to being involved in, to the, involved with to the extent that um, you know, I can. Some exciting stuff. I can't wait to see what happens. And for our listeners who want to follow you or see what you're working on, what are some of the best ways to do that? Sure. You can, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael Steele. You can check out my um, podcast, uh, the uh, Michael Steele podcast. <laughs> that was an original thought uh, <laughs> <I love it. laughs> when it came to naming. Uh, in fact, so I'm going to return the favor to you. I would love to have you on my podcast I would love uh, to talk about this issue, uh, particularly since you are so firmly uh, grounded in the advocacy space. Um, uh, and so it, it's great because you're not, you wouldn't be, oh, I'm hawking, you know, cannabis today because I'm in the business. So I think it would be very good to help people uh, to understand better. So I, I'm extending the invitation to you to, to, to join me on my podcast, the Michael Steele podcast, uh, to, so we can continue this conversation and um, uh, with, uh, you know, my audience and the people who follow me. And then check out my website, uh, uh, www.michaelsteelnetwork.com, all one word. And, uh, you know, that's where I hang. I love it. And I would love that because I always enjoy my conversations with you. Yeah, no, same here. Same. It is so good to reconnect and uh, to do a, a, a bit more deeper dive one-on-one uh, on this subject. And I, again, I think people out there should be excited about where we are. I think people out there, um, regardless of if you're playing a direct role or indirect role, um, should be excited about the prospects. And, and I also, at the same time, note, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. And I think everyone needs to be smart about that work and be prepared to uh, roll up their sleeves and, and sort of really get their hands dirty in, in that work, um, yeah. because it's going to require some, some lifting, particularly as the Fed sort of, uh, you know, continue to build their walls around, around cannabis and, and, not, and not really want to uh, open it up. Um, at least at this point, it will open up, folks. It just will. Yeah. Um, it just will. I mean, what thirty-eight states now, if not more, are are fully in the game with either medicinal and or um, a recreational use. So it, it's yeah, the feds are going to be there. 
Uh, and that's going to require, again, more advocacy information and, and science to help them um, because they're, you know, they're just a, they're like that kid in the classroom who just, you know, bounces off the walls and you just sort of say, okay, Tommy, sit down. All right. Let me help you. <laughs> just sit down. <laughs> well, what, are they, what is it that they say uh, that, that the wise, the wise man surrounds himself with experts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is so true. That's why the wise woman does that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and for those of you listening out there, remember, Planted is twice a month. And we are Planted with Sarah on Twitter and Instagram, Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook, www.plantedwithsarah.com. And we are on our parent network, the Radio Misfits Network, where you can listen to all sorts of other wonderful podcasts. When you listen to the episodes, leave a review, share it with a friend. You can listen to wherever your favorite podcasts are, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Amazon, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And until next time, stay curious. And it's a crazy world out there. Be good to one another. Stay safe, folks. And Michael, thank you again. I, it's been a pleasure. No, it's my pleasure as well, Sarah. Thank you so much. And it was great to spend some time with your audience. Oh, thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Bye.